Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to talk about blue-green in March of the Machine. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Getting into it, blue-green, I always, you know, start with how strong the archetype is according to like the 17 land stats. Blue-green is about average overall. At this point, there's a pretty clear breakdown in two-color performance in this format with blue-black and blue-white considerably ahead of like the scrum. White-black at the bottom, uh, red-green and red-black just above that but below most of the other things. And then everything else is really, really, really close, winning right around an average amount. Uh, all the green decks are very, very close to the same with red a little bit behind the other pairs. So this is, you know, weirdly, if you look at Esper specifically, it's the two best decks and then the worst deck if you pair it the wrong way. So this is behind the uh, blue Esper decks and kind of with the rest of the stuff. It's the least drafted color pair, presumably because usually when someone is drafting blue and green cards, they will also play other colors. I don't think it's so much that people are avoiding putting like blue cards with green cards in their deck or playing the blue and green gold cards. I think it's just that the deck rarely ends up being straight two color. But I assume that I will talk about multicolor green a different time. And the uh, my focus today is on blue green or blue green with a light splash, not like five color green. So blue-green, I think, really wants to prioritize interaction. You have a lot of card advantage and power and toughness, like just being green and being blue kind of puts you in a pretty good spot for playing to the board and playing a long game. And so you really want to prioritize cheap interaction. So like cards in that space that perform well uh, roughly in order of how well they perform. At common, Afara's Dispersal, the uh, three-mana bounce spell that surveils two, and you can cast for one mana if uh, it's targeting an attacker. Assimilate Essence, remove soul that can also counter battles, but uh, your opponent needs to pay four to stop it. If they don't, you incubate two. Uh, Sabai Cryptomancer, the 0-1 flash hexproof, backup, backup one hexproof creature which plays a lot more like a trick than a creature. Uh, Arachnoid Adaptation, the green plus two plus two untap reach trick. Cosmic Hunger, the one and a green bite spell. And uh, Temporal Cleansing, the four mana convoke, put a creature second from the top or on the bottom. Those are all like very solid interaction, basically uh, premium cards. You want them overall, but kind of the best, just like board presence type cards. So the, the board presence type cards that you're looking for, and you'll see why I use that term instead of creatures, because it's so preening champion, of course, premium common. You probably want that over the interaction most of the time here. There will be spots where I think it makes sense to take an interactive spell over preening champion. Specifically, I think that blue-green has a glut of good three-mana commons that you want to play on turn three, and if you find yourself in a spot where you already have too many of those, 
uh, then you might want to take some interaction, especially if you're light on interaction, especially if it's premium interaction like dispersal over preening champion. But early in the draft, you should just take preening champion. This archetype can convoke pretty well. The flyer is valuable. The card's great, obviously. You are, you're also looking for Eyes of Taxius, the uh, three mana draw card, three, three, incubate three. Blighted Burgeoning, the fertile ground that uh, incubates two. Converter Beast, Wary Thespian, Overgrown Pest, and Portent Tracker. So the uh, glut at three there is Preening Champion, Eyes, Blighted Burgeoning, and Overgrown Pest are all threes. So you kind of want to prioritize uh, looking for the good twos, Wary Thespian, and Portent Tracker when you can, and mixing into three with Converter Beast, or mixing into four rather with Converter Beast and then uh, take um, interactive spells. And if you can avoid most of the other common creatures and just prioritize any of the interaction while having a lot of that premium stuff, you should be pretty good. I, I guess the other common creatures to look for are actually the uh, land cyclers. I'm low on land cyclers in general, uh, but I think that both the blue and green land cycler have a pretty good home in blue green because portent tracker and blighted burgeoning uh help you ramp overgrown pest helps you make your land drops so you can cast these sixes and then emoti the uh uncommon three one cascade that, that gives your six plus mana cards cascade likes having some sixes in your deck those are like common playable sixes that you can have to uh, cascade off your emoti. I would say this is also a deck that, you know, specifically if you have emoti and um, some converter beasts and stuff, you can end up in a spot where you uh, convoke sixes pretty well, making it a relatively good home to play the six mana three four convoke flyer. That's still not a good card. I'm not going to go out of my way to do it. But if you're going to play it anywhere, this would be the place. And then you can also splash the red Shatter the Source as a way to get more sixes to trigger Emoti if you have Emoti. This deck can have a bit of trouble closing, especially against like Death Touch blockers. And often you have like five, five Incubate tokens that have an issue because the board will kind of stall. They don't have any keywords or evasion or anything. If your opponent has two three threes, you don't really have a good attack with your five fives. And uh, title terror is a really good way to break through that kind of stalled board that this deck can pretty easily get into. Um, which is another reason to look for that land cycler where you might otherwise not want to bother. And also another good reason to just try to put some large flyers in your deck as a reason to play the 3-4 uh, Convoke creature. Let's see. This is a very good home for, like, Omen Hawker, Corruption of Tawashi, Tangled Skyline stuff. Looking, of course, for Eyes and Converter Beast and Blighted Burgeoning to round out that deck. I really like the Incubate shell for blue-green. But you can also draft it as more of an aggressive tempo-oriented build. And that build is going to uh, take better advantage of battles. And you have some nice uncommons for that strategy in Storm the Seed Core and also Wicked Slumber. They convoke tap two creatures they don't untap. 
Uh, Wicked Slumber, incidentally, looking uh, kind of deeply into the stats, performs really poorly overall, but is played in low numbers among top players, but performs as one of the like top three uncommons uh, in that spot, which says to me that like there is a blue-green like aggro tempo deck that can use Wicked Slumber really, really well. You just need to be careful that that's the space that you're in. I Because I do think that blue-green can be drafted to a lot of different uh, kind of play patterns. And that's kind of a theme with this set in general. Is, uh, why I like it so much is you really can draft, you know, mid-range aggro control versions of this archetype and many other archetypes and you really need to identify which one you're doing and which cards are going to play well in it this is also of course i said i'm not going to look at five color green here but uh blue green is very obviously uh one of the best color pairs to splash commons that i'm frequently looking to splash in blue green are in white Cut short and scroll shift. Uh, notably, I'm only really looking for scroll shift if I'm doing the Phyrexian control deck with especially Tangled Skyline, but to some extent Corruption of Twashi as excellent scroll shift targets. And then for me personally, the way that I like to handle the difficulty of actually ending a game in blue green in that kind of archetype is to simply not try to end the game and instead uh, try to get an Oracle of Tragedy and then loop that with Scroll Shift and or Unseal the Necropolis to uh, put the burden of actually closing the game on my opponent um, and just focus on making it very, very difficult for them to ever do that. That's not necessarily the like a better plan than just playing cards that will kill your opponents. But um, that's something that I look for, and Scroll Shift can uh, contribute to that plan. In black, I'm mostly looking to splash Unseal the Necropolis, uh, regardless of whether I have Oracle of Tragedy. Um, but if I am splashing Unseal, I would like to have Oracle of Tragedy or Halo Charge Scab um, so that I can get more value out of the splashed Unseal. And then in red, uh, you just have good removal to splash in Volcanic Spite and Shatter the Source. Those are the those are the main commons I'm looking to splash across the colors. Before getting into some more like general positioning and different approaches, kind of big picture, underrated commons. So commons that go later and are played a lot less than their win rate suggests might be better are uh, assimilate essence, the counterspell, uh, Sabe cryptomancer, the flash protection creature, and uh, Arachnoid Adaptation, the untap uh, reach trick. So cards that I already mentioned, and that kind of, you know, goes back to uh, my statement that you should prioritize cheap interaction. I specifically mean prioritize it more highly than one naturally might. And um, we see people not really doing that quite enough in these commons being underrated. Overrated commons are both mostly just weaker permanence that I didn't mention as the ones you're looking to play. Uh, Order of the Mirror uh, is the 2-1 knight that can transform into a 3-3 with non-keyworded flanking. War Historian 
the 3-3 reach that attacks battles well. Wildwood Escort, the 5-mana Gravedigger that exiles itself when it dies, 3-3. Chomping Kavu, the 4-mana uh, 3-3 backup 1 that can't be blocked by creatures, power 2 or less. And Stasis Field, the aura-based removal spell that turns something in, into an O2 defender and loses other abilities. So the second-rate commons are played a little more than you might prefer. Uh, maybe that's you you know, just have to place more creatures and the premium cards are pretty highly contested and so you play what you have. Or maybe it's people not knowing, you know, the relative power level of the commons and playing the wrong ones. Probably a mix of these things. Uh, overrated uncommons. Um, invasion of Kamigawa, Invasion of Muraganda. These are both not heavily played, but uh, have below 50% win rates. Invasion of Kamigawa is the uh, blue uncommon invasion that taps a creature down and then stuns it and uh, flips into a 2-3 flyer that draws a card when it connects. And Invasion of Muraganda is the 5-mana Hunt the Weak battle. Um, Renata, called the Hunt, is another uh, card that performs quite poorly. Not Bold Crusher. Renata, called the Hunt, is the Devotion to Green 4-mana uh, creature that puts plus 1, plus 1 counters on your creatures when they enter. Not Bold Crusher, the 4-mana four 4-4 four, that can flip into a 5-5 five, five that makes something else a 5-5 five, five when it attacks. Tragically, Oracle of Tragedy. This makes sense to me. I do think that it's overplayed. It's not very good if you're not very serious about it. Uh, the, the base rate on this card isn't great, and you need to have a very cohesive plan that this is a part of to want it. Um, and it's played more than that's happening. Kami of Whispered Hopes, the 1-1 one, one that uh, gives extra counters um, when things get counters and taps for mana of any color equal to its power. Uh, that card, um, more than the others, is taken too highly. Invasion of Zendikar and Xerix Strobe Knight. Invasion of Zendikar is the um, explosive vegetation battle, the battle that searches for two lands. And Xerix Strobe Knight is the 2-2 Flying Vigilance that can tap to make a knight if you have played two spells. Invasion of Zendikar and Xeric Strobe Knight are both not bad cards. They're fine to play, but they are drafted very highly relative to how much they win, and they're relatively poor fits in blue-green. I think that Strobe Knight uh, is not something that you're going to be great at triggering, and this archetype i think values the tutu knight that you can make off of it a lot less than uh some other archetypes and uh then you run into the glut at three where you just shouldn't be prioritizing strobe knight because you'll get threes that make more sense in your deck later um and then invasion of zendikar you really need to be taking advantage of uh what it's offering in terms of uh fixing and ramping and while some blue-green decks can do that, uh, a majority of them, I think, are not super interested in the card. So getting a little bit more into the weeds in terms of like format positioning and strategy, as I mentioned, I think it's hard but not impossible to draft this as um, an aggressive deck. Um, I just played a match uh, where I lost to um, the 1-1 Vigilance Rabbit and Tetsuko supported by uh, some flyers that was like a low curve deck that was uh, making use of the 3-4 flying convoke creature um, to get more evasion 
Um, so with Tetsuko, uh, you know, I think that kind of the big problem that Blue Green needs to solve is how do you actually get through to end a game? And Tetsuko is a really good way to do that. It especially combines well with Wary Thespian in the uh, aggressive versions of Blue Green. And then uh, I think Wicked Slumber and Storm the Seed Core are really good ways to thoroughly swing a race or end the game in aggressive blue green decks. I think, you know, I mentioned that I'm more into um, Incubate Control. I think that Incubate Control is in blue green is one of the best possible homes for Omen Hawker. Um, and I think if you have Omen Hawker and a lot of the cards that incubate, you're going to be in pretty good shape. I think battles in general are largely a bit of a trap for this archetype. I think that you don't really need the value that they offer, and you're not usually great at connecting and flipping them early. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the time when you're blue-green and you don't know exactly what's going on or you're not like committed to, um, okay, clearly I'm an incubate deck or clearly I'm an aggro deck or a deck that's like very good at convoking you want to just kind of expect early in the draft that as a blue green deck you're going to end up with good defensive board presence and um large creatures and you're going to want to have a plan for how you're going to end a game due to really the fact that double blocking is just such an effective way to hold off a lot of the larger blue and green creatures in terms of ending a game. And so you really want to think about like what your mid to late game looks like and how you're closing the game. I think title terror is a really respectable plan to just have something that can finish a game, especially if you can back it up with Cryptomancer or whatever. And of course, you know, when all else fails, great format to just splash some good rares. Um, never really go wrong with that plan or just having on color rares is the reason that you're drafting this thing and uh yeah i think that's that's basically what's up with blue green you know key takeaways here being have a plan mind your curve and prioritize interaction this is uh not a space where you want to sleep on cards like cosmic hunger and takedown the one green green uh Two creatures get plus one zero and do damage equal to their powers to target creature. Saying that largely to myself, I think those are cards that I uh, have been kind of underrating in blue green, and I I do think that you really want to um, have that nice on color instant instant speed interaction. And that's what I have. So I'm gonna turn it over to Twitch chat for questions and. Um, Thanks, of course, to the newest patron supporter of the podcast, Gavin. I uh, really appreciate the support. Um, for anyone else who is enjoying the podcast and uh, looking to contribute or to um, extract some additional value, I would recommend going to patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And there you can see the benefits that are offered and uh, join the patron to support the program. You ever done the oracle looping in pure blue green just with bounce spells? I think I actually have done that once. So I usually look to loop oracle with 
scroll shift and unseal, but you can technically do it with a forest dispersal. And it's a, a bit dangerous, of course. Well, I mean, it's not really a lot more dangerous than doing it with scroll shift. I think that it's fine to include a loop just with a forest dispersal. Um, I really don't want to be in a spot where I have to try to um, temporal cleansing my own oracle. But if you have multiple dispersals, dispersaling oracle is definitely a thing that you can do. I would not want to rely on it as much as I might rely on um, Oracle with Unseal, but I do like to have um, a Dispersal and an Unseal so that you can uh, be in a spot where you can put back both Dispersal and Unseal so that you can loop Oracle regardless of whether the Oracle's in play or in your graveyard. Can do it, is a bit risky, would not want it to be, like I'd want to have other realistic ways to end the game, but I could see deciding that the added late game power that that gives you is enough that you want to put the Oracle in your deck. I feel underwhelmed every time I draft the O5 flyer that gets plus one plus O for transform permanence. What are my thoughts on the card? It obviously suffers a lot from the glut at threes. It's not as good as a uh, printing champion, of course. And then it's com competing with eyes and burgeoning and overgrown pest and which of those is better is going to somewhat depend on what you're doing but uh largely going to be not the mutagen connoisseur the o5 um flyer i think that the o5 flyer is very good in the deck that i really like to uh imagine in blue green the um uh you know dedicated um Incubate deck. Not so much because the Incubates contribute a lot of power to the Connoisseur, which they do, but somewhat unreliably because they often trade off, but more because I think that the O5 Flyer uh, does a good job giving you time to get your five mana enchantments down and get that rolling. And then if you have, uh, you know, one or two things um, transformed, it blocks pretty well. I don't think for the most part that you want to be like going super hard on trying to transform a million things, uh, though certainly if you end up in the Omen Hawker Corruption of Twashi deck, you do want to prioritize also the creatures that can transform. And I think that if you're playing a good amount of that stuff and you have some battles you want to play, that Mutagen Connoisseur can be a pretty good way to flip those battles. But I think that if you're, you know, anywhere near the like aggro blue green space, that uh, it's going to be really not what you're looking for. You can't count on it to have a decent amount of power at a reasonable point in the game, and so um, it's definitely not uh, for all blue green decks. But if you're playing a defensive game, I think that just having an O5 flying defender for uh three mana that like gives you a decent evasive threat in the very late game i mentioned how blue green can have tr trouble finding a way to like actually end the game and vigilance plus flying plus large toughness like once you're in the super late game where you've transformed some things it really dominates the or the air and puts your opponent on a reasonable clock while continuing to block so I think that um, 
it can fill an important role in the slower blue-green decks. You just need to be careful with where you play it. Do you have any tips for the usage of Storm the Seed Core and Wicked Slumber in the aggressive versions of the deck, situations where you're not going to kill the opponent in one turn? I mean, I think that they're both just like pretty good if your focus is really on like going wide and curving out. I think Titsuko is a really a great start for that deck, letting you uh you know play one drops like Rotten Tail and you know maybe you even have Omen Hawker that's like getting you a bit of value on transforming some things. But then if you have Tetsuko, becomes a reasonable attacker, and then you're also trying to like curve out and convoke. And so you like that the Omen Hawker is a one drop that can convoke. And then, you know, like the really uh a fully in on like low curve convoke uh blue green deck, it's really uncommon heavy, but if you have a mix of weirds and omen hawkers and tetsukos. Um, then your Omen Hawker can transform your weirds and you have like a bunch of ones and twos. And then your Thespians, of course, work really well with your uh, Tetsuko. And then you're just kind of like well positioned to uh, play really any of the blue convoke stuff. And this is a deck that could even play uh, Astral Wingspan, though I am... Getting lower on that card overall, you know, for the most part, you're probably not planning to convoke Wicked Slumber so much as attack with your creatures and hardcast it, but uh, certainly the flexibility there is nice. Rotten Tail, I guess, while not very good, does have the ability to both attack and convoke at the same time. And then if you start, you know, putting some counters on it with backup stuff, I think like Sabai Cryptomancer is a reasonable, like, trick in this deck that um helps a lot with uh additional convoking from there um cryptomancer also uh plays well if you're trying to do the astral wingspan both because you can protect another creature with wingspan with it or you can just put wingspan on your cryptomancer as a hexproof creature and then if you like do that kind of thing then you can storm the seed core onto your hexproof flying cryptomancer so you can go pretty deep on that thing further question about splashing since i mentioned both an aggressive deck and uh that it's something you can do yeah i'm always going to say the more aggressive your deck is the less you want to splash the more controlling it is the more you want to splash and that kind of you know there's a feedback loop that goes both ways in the draft right if i have cards that are going to let me splash early I'm going to um, bias my deck to be a little bit more controlling to take advantage of the option to splash and then look for cards that are good to splash. If I have cards that I want to splash early, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to try to make my deck a little bit slower, a little bit more resilient, a little bit, and play a longer game and look for ways to splash. Whereas if I have aggressive cards, I'm going to try to not take fixing and I'm going to try to not take splash cards. So yeah, the, the aggressive version certainly going to look to be two color. And then the like more controlling version, I'm going to be more open to splashing, especially if I'm in that incubator uh, space 
then I'm really a lot more interested in splashing the, the cards that I talked about, splashing the uh, splashed removal, but also splashing stuff like the uh, white incubate uncommons, uh, both um, Norn's Inquisitor and uh, the three mana incubate four gives vigilance enchantment. And then uh, I think that like Wrath is a reasonable splash in the kind of spell heavy versions of blue green. Uh, and then of course, like Amonkhet and uh, Halo Forger are good splashes. So how desirable splashing is, is really just a function of uh, how controlling your deck is, how much fixing you happen to find, and then whether the interaction that you see is in your colors or in another color. How good is Storm the Seed Core as a finisher? Uh, the stats are relatively good for a card of its nature. I don't have a lot of personal experience with it because I'm addicted to drafting decks that uh, just kind of try to hang out more than they try to close the game. I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, I am right to do that. Uh, this is not actually a format that I've been performing relatively well in. It's certainly possible that I should be looking to storm the seed core more often than I'm naturally inclined to do. But, I mean, the long and short there is that I don't have a lot of personal experience to speak to the quality of storm the seed core as a finisher, but the stats suggest that it's legit at doing the thing that it does. Um, and I've certainly played some games where, you know, it looks like I'm in a pretty good spot and then storm the seed core comes down and it's like, oh, I have really awful blocks and no life remaining or very little life remaining and I'm gonna I, I can't stabilize from here. Arachnoid adaptation has good stats in blue green and everywhere else, but feels like more of a defensive trick versus an aggro card. I think it's very flexible and the format is very kind to it. This is something that's been discussed a bit um, is the fact that battles and backup creatures make it a lot more likely that your opponent's going to tap out in their first main phase, which makes any defensive trick better. Uh, but also, you know, combat tricks in general uh, are just good and aggressive decks. They let you make attacks where you otherwise wouldn't be able to um, and uh, trade up significantly on mana, start double spelling earlier, which is going to help you pull further ahead, close the game out before your opponent turns the corner in... Uh, there are slower decks when you're an aggressive deck. Um, I think that uh, one mana for what the card offers is just pretty good for green that um, you know can be lacking in interaction. And um, I think that it's a reasonable card to have a decent number of, um, you know, to have a, a, a relatively small number, one or two of, in basically any green deck, unless you're like really weirdly creature light. You mentioned in the green card evaluation that the port tracker doesn't want to be played unless it's without specific curve or burgeoning. Should I be looking to pick it up and um, not looking to pick it up until you actually have burgeoning since blue green has a lot of good threes? Yes. I think that Horton tracker is uh, nice when you're really mana hungry, which is true of basically all of the like dedicated incubator decks. Uh, it can kind of serve as a, you know, poor man's, Omenhawker, really, really poor Omenhawker. Omenhawker is way better if you don't have burgeonings, but still potentially playable. If you're uh, trying to be, you know, like a curve out aggro 
blue-green deck, you should want nothing to do with Port and Tracker. And, you know, you're really looking for Wary Thespian, but you would much rather play uh, just, like, Iridescent something or other. The, the two-mana 2-2 two that pumps for four would be way, way better in an aggressive blue-green deck than Port and Tracker. Or, you know, most any other two you could find. Okay, I think it seems uh, safe to wrap it up there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, for listening, however and whenever you're listening. And thanks especially to the Twitch viewers for questions to help uh, round this out. That's it for this week. I'll be back uh, next week, the usual time and usual platform. Prepare for light speed.